0: You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow Podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Welcome back, Brewers fans, to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow Podcast. I am your host, Peter Goh. David Ready to go today? Uh, record another podcast. Brewers uh, continuing their mediocre, I guess, I don't know, post trade, excuse me, post trade deadline uh, woes. As we were talking here before the podcast, Brewers not exactly in the most ideal spot, but should be a good podcast today as we talk about whether the Brewers should be continuing to play for twenty twenty two and how the Brewers stack up against uh, postseason potential teams like the Cardinals, even the Padres and Phillies as well and then whether are the brewers you know like i said should focus more on the future of 2023 than 2022 um, as well as a few other housekeeping things and uh david six ways the brewers could have celebrated 100 million fans better than the ticket discount i, I kind of like starting there if that's all right i'm going to actually uh, switch up a call on audible here on the on the mic i'm going to have a start out on uh our our last topic of the episode which is your six ways that the brewers could have celebrated 100 million total fans better than the ticket discount they did uh, announce. So David, first, uh, share exactly what that is, and, and then I'm excited to hear your your six ideas.
1: The Brewers chose to celebrate their, their big announcement, big celebration gift to the fans was $6 bleachers and terrace tickets for weekday home games, which they already do most of the time just for the rest of the season, over a 32-hour period, and you get a $6 concessions voucher, which, by the way, it costs more than $6 to buy a bottle of water, for perspective. So just keep that in mind when talking about how big of a gift that was. They said it was going to be a big gift, and I guess you can determine what it, what it whether or not that qualifies as a big gift. I would offer the disclaimer that The Cold Brew Podcast, part of the Reviewing the Brew blog, they actually did the exact same thing, but I'd already written this topic out and came up with all my ideas. So I didn't want to just eliminate it. And I don't even know actually what their ideas were, but I did want to mention that so it doesn't look like we're stealing their idea. Um, I just also thought of it and had it written down before I noticed that they had released their episode. I'll start with the first one, though. We have six ways on how they could have celebrated the 100 millionth fan in brewers history better and the first one is a 15th anniversary reunion of the 25th anniversary celebration of 1982 back in 2007 they had a big celebration they had bobbleheads every friday retro fridays were back and it was a big event to celebrate 82 and they keep celebrating anniversaries so i think it's kind of gotten to the point where it's time to start celebrating the anniversary celebrations
0: I would uh, that would be quite a sight to see. That's that, that's for sure. But it does, it is a little bit uh, laughable the the eighty two celebrations, and uh, I we wouldn't put it past the Brewers to start celebrating a fifteenth anniversary reunion of the twenty fifth anniversary celebration of when we did not win the championship. So there's number one for you, David. Number two uh, relates to Brewers current president, baseball of operations in David Stearns. Right?
1: That's correct. Our second idea is a David Stern's themed apple slicer. So I'm not exactly sure how this would look. Would we put David Stern's face on the apple slicer? Maybe. Are apple slicers even big enough to fit his face on them? I'm not sure. But I'm sure we could find a way, make it sponsored by Roundies or Pick and Save, something like that. But a David Stern's themed apple slicer would help fans because that way there would be enough bites to get around for the apple David Stearns loves talking about getting as many bites of the apple as possible. So what better way to celebrate than to give out a David Stearns themed apple slicer?
0: That really would be a Midwestern Wisconsin fan favorite. I feel like what better giveaway than like a, a kitchen tool that somebody could use? Um I could see that like going in the in the junk drawer or perhaps in the drawer with like the twelve oven mitts or twist ties. I don't know. There's there's a lot of good uh Uses for for the apple slicer, so I think that's that's a good one. Um, how about uh, number three? I know you've got uh, another sale here on uh, merchandise this time.
1: Yeah, there's nothing more that Wisconsinites like more than either a discount or a coupon coupon uh, book. So on September 8th, they have a double header. The Giants are coming to town. They're already advertising it as the first time that there's going to be a doubleheader, a nine inning doubleheader at Miller Park, or maybe the first time in 20 years, something a, a long time. So I was thinking, why not celebrate the occasion with 25% off all bottles of water? So now they'll only be $6. So now with your $6 ticket voucher, you can come in, think about the great gift that the brewers gave you, you paid them $6, you paid them an extra $4 in fees. And now you get your water bottle that you are able to get from the six dollar voucher that you got
0: that sounds uh sounds like baseball in Wisconsin if you ask me. I didn't even realize that, that bottles of water had ticked up that expensive. I I guess I hadn't purchased one myself, but that is really quite crazy for eight an eight dollar bottle of water, especially when we're talking about the, the brewers, but nonetheless, number four an ode an ode to brewers, a former closer and current bullpen coach Jim Henderson. What do you have here?
1: I was thinking with the amount of bobbleheads the Brewers have, I mean, I would say that this is a, this was a great idea to have a Giannis bobblehead, but we're now at the point that we're not honoring current players, we're not honoring former players, we're not honoring team executives or coaches, but now we're, we're honoring actually an NBA player and one that plays for a different team. I mean, good on the Brewers, because I'm sure it'll sell well, and would I like that Giannis bobblehead? Sure. But I think it is kind of funny. So I was thinking, why not have, similarly to what they did with Craig Council a few years ago, a Jim Henderson dual bullpen coach and pitcher bobblehead, one of the great closers in Brewers franchise history. He did have his own bobblehead back in 2014. And now being the bullpen coach, you see him on the TV every time they are warming someone up standing there in his best pitching coach position. So why not honor him with his own bobblehead, a dual bobblehead bullpen coach and pitcher?
0: Yeah, crazy to me that he had a bobblehead. I mean, he had a good year, um, that one year, but uh, crazy to think that we have uh, evolved from Jim Henderson receiving a bobblehead, uh, we, like you said. You we even had Doug Melvin getting a bobblehead as well. But uh, this could be another one. This one that Brewers ownership, Bud Selig and Mark Atanasio. What do you have for number five?
1: Well, I was thinking, you know how when you go to a place that is of significance, whether it be. A baseball game, an amusement park, a museum. They often have those machines. You put a penny in, then you pay an extra 50 cents or something, and then it'll morph your penny into some sort of commemorative thing for your trip to the place. So I was thinking, I mean, you could accomplish this in a couple ways uh, or, or kind of kill two birds with one stone. So for a giveaway, this could be the big gift because you're saving Brewer fans 51 cents because they don't have to pay to do this. A Bud Selig-Mark Atanasio dual commemorative penny. So one side's got Bud Selig's face. The other side's got Mark Atanasio's face. And it comes pre-pinched. So you've got the, the, uh, the machine to, to pre-pinch it for you to honor the p- penny pinching of Bud Selig and Mark Atanasio as Brewer's owners.
0: Yeah, only downside to this is you are missing out on Wendy Seelig Priebe um, and not honoring her uh, penny, penny 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 pinching. There we go. Efforts that she had in in her time as well. So let's round out number six on our six ways the Brewers could have celebrated one hundred million fans better.
1: Yeah, the sixth way is one that I, I hope to one day see. With the number of players that are on the Brewers Wall of Honor, I think these players are, I'd say, borderline deserving. And that would be a Denelson-Lamette-Trevor Rosenthal wall of honor ceremony. They both had illustrious Brewers careers that ended far too soon. And you have to just think what could have been with those guys. And I think that's actually one of the criteria is was acquired by the Brewers, but did not play a game in the major leagues with the Brewers. Denelson-Lamette did actually put a uniform on. He did go out to the bullpen one game and then got designated for assignment after the game. So I think that might merit him. And Trevor Rosenthal, uh, I think, qualifies as well, being traded a top 30 prospect for him. So there are a couple of ways that they fit the criteria uh, that the Brewers have for the Wall of Honor. I think it's just a matter of time. And really having a, a great ceremony like that for them would be a wonderful gift for Brewer fans. I'm sure there'd be at least 30,000 fans at the game to watch Denelson Lamette and Trevor Rosenthal honored for their Brewers careers.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing you may have left off would be uh perhaps a 10 cent beer night. We all know that uh that that went went well back historically or uh the uh bringing of the what was it? The the vinyl discs, bringing those to the stadium. That was a doubleheader at Comiskey, oh, right? uh-huh.
1: Yeah, disco yeah, demolition so, night.
0: Yeah, so many 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 options that uh Brewers could have had besides the uh, very very exciting uh, deal thirty two hour deal to buy some uh, bleacher and uh, terrace reserve tickets for six bucks. So if you if you missed it, I'm sorry you missed it already. It, it has already passed, I believe. Um, so uh, I guess you'll have to find another time to buy tickets, uh, probably at about the same price. So moving on to the next topic, um, I kind of went uh, out of order today. So David, let's let's jump into today's random player of the day. Who do you have today?
1: Today's random player of the day is Matt Bush current Brewers reliever they acquired him in exchange for Mark Mathias and Antoine Kelly back in the beginning of August he was the first overall pick in 2004 as a member of the Padres he was a shortstop at the time and he was selected just one pick in front of Justin Verlander he then converted to being a pitcher in 2010 when he was in the Rays organization had a little bit of time there but got into some legal trouble and later served 39 months in prison for a drunk driving incident won't go into too much detail about his incidents with the law, but when he was in prison actually he was working at Golden Corral as part of the program where they'll let um, criminals in prison work and really the only places that they place that they're able to go outside of prison is to their job. So the Rangers were interested in a tryout so they actually worked him out in the Golden Corral parking lot. They decided that he still had a really good arm and wanted to sign him when he got out of prison. Turned his life around and within a year of him being released from prison, he was in the major leagues pitching with the Rangers, pitching in the postseason even. And he had a 3.34 ERA across parts of five seasons that he spent with the Rangers before the Brewers acquired him earlier this year. So far has allowed six runs across 12 innings. And he has looked pretty good, I think. He had a couple shaky outings to begin and then one more recently. But overall, he's been pretty solid. He's controllable for two more years after this one. And though he is 36, he doesn't have the mileage on his arm that many others do. So we could likely see him as a member of the back end of that Brewers bullpen for a couple more years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good, good, solid electric arm in the back end of the bullpen. Uh, Like you said, overall has been pretty solid. Um, So Brewers have enjoyed the addition of Matt Bush in the bullpen. And David, today our trivia question, uh, can you name this Brewers player who was uh, the first in MLB history to amass 2,500 hits, 400 steals, 500 doubles, 100 triples, and 200 home runs. So I'll say that one more time because I know there's a lot there. Can you name the first MLB player to amass 2,500 hits, 400 steals, 500 doubles, 100 triples, and 200 home runs? So that answer to the podcast, excuse me, answer to the trivia question will be at the end of the podcast as always. So David, we were talking about the Brewers standings before we turned on the mics here. We're recording this as of uh, Sunday, September 4th, and the Brewers find themselves uh, second in the National League Central, a long ways behind, of course, the St. Louis Cardinals. And I think it's fair to say the, uh, the, the hopes of a National League Central Division title are far gone. The Brewers eight and a half back. At 70 and 63, the Cardinals have been playing very well. David, you were sharing they're on pace for a 96 win season. Um, And just share some thoughts uh, with me, if you don't mind, on just how the Brewers roster lines up to the Cardinals. Going into the season, I'm thinking about how I I was certainly confident the Brewers were the better team than the Cardinals. I was not too worried about the Cardinals winning the division over the Brewers. But yet we are here in early September and the Cardinals have an 8-plus lead. And I think they're a legitimate Contender in the National League. So share some thoughts if you don't mind on the Cardinals lineup and how they stack up against the Brewers at this point.
1: The big difference that it comes down to is that the Cardinals have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, the two cornerstones to build around. The Brewers really don't have any of those offensively. If you look at the production that Arenado and Goldschmidt have had this year, Arenado 60% better than league average as a hitter with excellent third-base defense. Paul Goldschmidt in line to win his first MVP. He's hitting 331 with a 618 slugging right now as a first baseman over in St. Louis. And Tommy Edmond is having a really nice year also, playing really good defense up the middle. He's contributed with 26 steals as well and a 726 OPS, which is right above league average. They've gotten some production out of their, their supporting guys. not Maybe not quite as much as the Brewers, but they're able to make up for it a lot better with having some real star power in the middle of that lineup and at the corner infield positions. And when you look at the pitching, the main thing that the Cardinals were lacking at the tra- trade deadline was starting pitching depth. And that's something that they acquired. They got Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees so far in six starts, 1.47 ERA. With the Cardinals. They got Jose Quintana, six starts as well, 3.38 ERA. So even though Steven Matz has struggled a little bit in the rotation, Montgomery and Quintana have picked it up. And Wainwright's still been solid this year. He's thrown 168 innings, 3.21 ERA, and Miles Michaelis with a mid-threes ERA eating up innings for them. They're really not that far off in terms of production with Wainwright and Michaelis, than the likes of Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, especially given the recent struggles of Burns. So it's not hard to see why the Cardinals have been so much more successful, given the the high-end talent they have offensively that the Brewers just are lacking. They don't really have anyone who's better than a slightly above-average position player.
0: Yeah, the Cardinals have the star power that the Brewers are certainly lacking. Uh, In addition to that, they also, of course, have... Wainwright, Molina, Pujols, which have different value, obviously, um, at this point in their career. But obviously, there's still a lot of value on the field, as we've seen from all three of those players this year. What do you think about the Brewers? Uh, When we look at the Brewers, probably realistic chances at at still making a playoff berth this year, we're probably looking at the wild card. The Braves are already pretty much um, in as a number one wild card team in the National League. But the Padres and Phillies. Uh, still in reaching distance, the Brewers two and a half back from Philadelphia for that third wild card spot. How do you think the Brewers uh, roster lines up against, of course, the Padres, uh, who we're well acquainted with given the trade deadline, as well as the Philadelphia Phillies?
1: On paper, the Padres are far and away the best team among the three, but they have not performed up to their capabilities. Machado's having a great year, but Tatis, of course, has had his issues that He's out for the year. Soto really has not been that great since they acquired him. And Hater his struggles have been well documented. The Phillies are an interesting team. They're probably about as polarizing a team on the field as you get. And not so much in terms of they're hated, but they're just a team that the style of play is unique in that they're terrible at defense, terrible at base running. They hit really well. I mean, they mo- mostly the power. I mean, they play the game in such a way that Keith Hernandez said, I'm refusing to broadcast Mets Phillies games because I'd hate watching the Phillies play baseball. And they let him do that. So that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of team the Phillies are. They're a team that is extreme really in every way. I think the big difference between the Phillies and the Brewers, you can say the top position players, JT, Realmuto, Harper went healthy Uh, are I'd say the two biggest difference makers there. But the other big difference is that I think going into the year, it was expected that Burns, Woodruff, Peralta would be significantly better than the Phillies rotation and that the bullpen would be better as well. But Peralta's missed a lot of time. Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler have actually outperformed Burns and uh, Woodruff and the two have been healthy for pretty much the whole year, whereas Woodruff had a little bit of a longer absence. So when you're looking at the Phillies roster, I I do think on paper that the Brewers have a better roster than the Phillies, but the Phillies have played a little bit better, and they've been a little bit healthier outside of Harper. Is it going to be enough to carry them into the postseason? I'm not sure. The Phillies have not played that well as of late, and it seems like it could be more of a who loses less in September to get that last postseason spot, since there really isn't anyone else in contention that's below the Brewers in the standings.
0: Yeah, it is a bit of a unique scenario there with the Brewers. Like you said, next team behind the Brewers are the Giants, who are four games under 500 um, and eight games back behind the Phillies. So it's really a four-team race, and really with the the Braves already uh, locked in more or less in that first spot, it's really a three-team race for those two spots. So. This kind of leads into our, our, our final topic today, David, on whether the Brewers should continue focusing on this year, trying to make the playoffs, or if they should be looking forward to 2023, especially with now a couple of September call-ups, Asturie Ruiz and Luis Perdomo being called up. Is this the time now for the Brewers to give regular at-bats, regular playing time to guys like Garrett Mitchell, Asturie Ruiz, uh, Brute Rice Turang, you even mentioned up the mention that you would like, the, like to see him uh, this September, but... Is it time for the Brewers to start looking forward to next year, or are we still making a playoff push in 2022?
1: I think it's time to consider that. Stearns almost set that precedent with the trade that he made at the deadline that dealt Hayter to the Padres. So I think it's something that you have to consider with where is the team going right now? Could they make it to the postseason? Sure, it's possible. But I don't think that it's necessarily how can we – win at all costs right now because you do want to make it to the postseason, but at the same time, there are some things that might be marginally worse this year but might be better, a little bit better in the long term. couple things. I would like to see the Brewers find a way to call up Bryce Touring. The only real way to do that is to option a pitcher. So it would have to be probably Hobie who's been... Pretty bad as of late, but he had a very good first half. It could be Strzelecki, although he's been very good lately. Or Luis Perdomo, who's actually been solid. They just called up Perdomo. He had actually so far this year with the Brewers, has a one 4 ERA across 12 and a third innings with the team. And he had a two six seven ERA across 30 innings in Nashville. So I don't think he's be the one to go for two ring. There's not really a position player outside of Esturi Ruiz or Garrett Mitchell that you are going to option in favor of Touring, and that's what makes it difficult to get Touring into the major leagues although i would like to see them somehow find a way whether it be someone gets hurt or they do decide to option hobie or strislecki or someone just to get him some some at bats i think what it comes down to more so in the outfield is getting mitchell at bats over taylor i think that it's important to get Mitchell at-bats, even against some lefties, helped him develop there a little bit. I don't think that Taylor is that much better against left-handed pitching. You've got Andrew McCutcheon taking up every day at-bats, but he's just not that good anymore. 96 OPS plus. He's not been that great uh, defensively either, and I know he's fast, but Asturio Ruiz is much faster than McCutcheon. Is McCutcheon a better hitter than Ruiz at this point? Probably, I would say. He probably is a better hitter right now, but I don't think the difference is that big. We don't really know what Ruiz can do at the major league level yet. They just called him up, had a 973 OPS across double A and triple A this year with 70 steals, which tied for the major league lead. I think it'd be maybe more wise to give Ruiz every day at bats, or at least most of the time where you shuffle him in the mix instead of Kutch. Kutch becomes a bench bat. You can mix and match him against left-handed pitching late in games And then you got Yelich playing most days, Renfro playing pretty much every day. And then you're mixing between Mitchell, Taylor, and Ruiz in center, as well as one of them perhaps mixing in with Keston at the DH spot.
0: Yeah, I don't see the value. I I mean, Taylor and McCutcheon, I I understand the desire to play them, but especially Taylor. Uh, Nothing against Tyrone Taylor. Uh, Certainly respect his game and the grind he's had in getting to where he is at this point in the organization. But... Unfortunately, the way it is, it's a lot more beneficial for the 2023, 2024, etc. Brewers to have guys like Astoria, Breweries and Garrett Mitchell getting at bats more than Tyrone Taylor. And like you said, is it a step down this year? Maybe, uh, but it, it's a marginal step down. I think, especially if you're talking about mixing and matching Ruiz and Mitchell, and long term makes the Brewers a better team. So I would, I would be in favor of doing it. I think uh, doing it, you know, strategically makes sense. I wouldn't, just, I wouldn't say Ruiz and Mitchell are going to start every single day in the outfield and now McCutcheon and Renfro are switching off games. By no means I would recommend that. But when we're talking about Tyrone Taylor and Andrew McCutcheon, we're not talking about big offensive steps down. And you do get a step up in, in the speed um, as well from Ruiz, both solid defenders as well. So I, I don't think there's – I don't know. I don't think there's a, a great reason, I guess, to continue to play McCutcheon and Taylor as much as – they have, um, I guess, there's some questionable moves and we'll see what council decides to do. I know that um, even council has been benching Luis Rias, who has had a, a very poor performance in 2022 um, for the likes of Jace Peterson as well. Any thoughts that you have on on council doing that and whether you see that really impacting the Brewers long term either? Because, you know, going into the year, we certainly thought Luis Rias was a long term position player starter for the Brewers is council. I guess stinting Urias' potential to continue to develop uh, by by giving him less playing time as well.
1: I think to some degree, although Urias is still playing most of the time, so I think that's what's most important. He still has 400 plate appearances this year, and that's come at a time when he's... He, he missed the first month of the year with injury. So I, I think having Urias play most of the time is fine. And I think a lot of that has been dictated by the way that Jace Peterson has played. He's having an excellent year. Jace Peterson is 262 average, 331 on base, 433 slugging with solid defense at third. And he can play other positions as well, but primarily playing third during the time Urias was injured. And then sometimes mixing in with Urias, whether Urias starts second or gets the day off. I think it's important to let Urias play most of the time, and I would say as much as you can. I think fans are overreacting a little bit. He's got a 252 batting average on balls in play, which is considerably below the marks he had in 2021 and in the shortened 2020 season with the Brewers. And even back to 2019, when he really struggled at the plate, He's he, it's considerably lower, and I think a lot of that has to do with batted ball luck because his strikeout rate and his walk rate are really right in line with what they were last year. So if you normalize it a little bit, it seems like the regression to the mean will happen and Luis Urias will essentially at least go back to the player he was last year. Uh so I think it's it's important for him to get at bats, but I don't I don't feel like Council is stunting his development with the way that he's managed Urias this year.
0: All right, so final question here on the roster. Jason Alexander versus Adrian Hauser. I think this also plays into Brewers playing for 2022 versus uh, future years. Um, so what are your thoughts on Alexander versus Hauser in the rotation at this point?
1: When you look at Hauser versus Alexander, I mean, this kind of proves to be a little bit moot right now because Freddie, his start was pushed back last, uh, this past start that he made. He just didn't really recover well from it. So they're going to have Hauser start in his place. So right now, Alexander and Hauser are both starting, but I think that could change depending on how Freddie is able to recover from this next start. Long-term, I'd say Hauser is probably the better bet to be a good starter next year in the future, and he's established himself already. I mean, he, he hasn't had a great year, but he still is, has the tools to be able to be a good starter. So having Hauser get, get, get reps in the rotation – I think is important. He has a, an ERA over five right now, but I think having him start and try to get back on track and end the year on a high note would be very important for Hauser to have success heading into next year. Alexander, I don't really see him as that much more than a long reliever, maybe a swing man. So I don't think it's as important for Alexander to get work in in the same way that it is Hauser. And even though Alexander is maybe pitching a little bit better right now than Hauser, I think Hauser is more of a long-term answer in the rotation. So I'd I'd really prefer to have Hauser start down the stretch in 22 because I think the difference is marginal, very, very slim.
0: Yeah, the Brewers could certainly could use that uh, after a uh, lackluster second half of 2022. If the Brewers do continue the trajectory they're on and, and miss out on the playoffs, it'll be a long off season, I think, in Milwaukee for the Brewers and the roster organization as a whole. Um, So brewers also need to try to look ahead to next year as well to try to put themselves in the best possible position to win next year. So we'll we'll close the loop on that one and circle back to our trivia question here today, David. This one is for you. Can you name the first player in MLB history to amass 2,500 hits, 400 steals, 500 doubles, 100 triples, and 200 home runs?
1: I believe the answer to that is Paul Molitor.
0: And that answer would be correct. Paul Molitor was the first player to do so. Again, 2,500 hits, 400 steals, 500 doubles, 100 triples, 200 home runs. The only player that I'm aware of who has achieved that since Molitor is Johnny Damon, who I think has a very underrated career. I don't think of him as being uh, that good. But, uh, David, your, your face there shows <laughs> shows the shock of uh, of what we all think of when it comes to Johnny Damon. Definitely had the had the uh, the the length of career, over fifty six wins above replacement, and believe it or not, twenty five hundred plus hits, four hundred steals, five hundred doubles, one hundred triples, and two hundred home runs. So, elite status in that regard, and uh, a lot better than I think you or I or or the average baseball fan gives him credit for.
1: Yeah, certainly would never have expected Johnny Damon to be the answer to the the second part of that trivia question. That thankfully you didn't ask me.
0: All right, so David, what is our stat of the day as we go today?
1: Today's number of the day is one, and that is the number of position players that made their debut before Garrett Mitchell that were 2020 first-round picks. So we're talking only position players. There are a number of pitchers, Spencer Strider, uh, who actually, I guess it's only first-round Strider was, I think, later, but Garrett Crochet, Cade Cavalli, Reed Detmers, a number of them debuting before Mitchell, but Torkelson from the uh, the Tigers, Spencer Torkelson, the only other one. He went first overall, and he actually is having a terrible year. Garrett Mitchell with his zero WAR is actually, I guess, atop the leaderboard for position players. So good on Garrett Mitchell, who's um, he's he's only hitting one fifty nine, but it's in like four games. So who 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 really cares? Um, and it's nice to have a guy like Garrett Mitchell around. He brings energy, great speed, good defense, and center. It's exciting to see someone who's young and a prospect with the Brewers and making an impact like Mitchell
0: yeah absolutely and hopefully I'm excited to see Ruiz as well another prospect for the Brewers um, and see what he can do hopefully the Brewers give him the chance to play this September as the Brewers continue to push for a wild card run so as always this is Peter and David go signing off go Brewers listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.